Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Is this house a good price compared to others in the area? Are prices going up or down? If I don't make an offer right this very moment, will I miss my chance? These are just some of the questions a home buyer might ask. And these are the sorts of questions an agent who is a Realtor can help answer. Because Realtors have the expertise, data, and access to specialty training to help you navigate the process of buying a home. They provide support, guidance, and have your back every step of the way. That's what Realtors do, because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast, Podcast. with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast, be sure to subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Newsmaking interviews with the biggest names in rock and metal. Thank you for being here. Be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And um, as I tell you guys every single week, all the interviews you hear on this podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show, Trunk Nation, heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, on Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or anytime on demand on the Sirius XM app. Nightly re-airs on 103 at midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific as well. If you can get SiriusXM and you are only listening to this podcast, meaning you live in the U.S. or Canada, because you can get SiriusXM if you live in those countries, then uh, you're only getting a tiny taste of what I do on the radio each and every weekday. So please come on board and join us for the live daily show and don't miss a thing. And we have an opportunity to make that way easier for you because you can get a three-month free trial subscription to Sirius XM. So you can sample my daily radio show totally free, no credit card required. If you'd like more information to do that, all you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. That's all you got to do. Punch that in three free months. Check it out. Come on board and uh, listen to the daily Trunk Nation show. Again, SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. We'll get you right to where you got to go so you can join us for your three free month trial. No credit card required. Sample the daily show. Would love to have you guys on board if you're in the U.S. or Canada. Upcoming appearances on the 28th. I'm going to be in Houston and I'll be at Rise Rooftop hosting a show with Tom Kiefer and John Karabi. And on the 29th, I'll be in Agora Hills, California. 
and hosting the Chevy Metal Show, which is Taylor Hawkins' old cover band. His son, Shane, will be playing drums. It is a benefit show. It's a fundraiser for a local animal shelter and also uh, remembering Taylor Hawkins with many of his old band members. So join us in Agora Hills, California at the Canyon Club. I believe it's sold out. But you can check. They may release some tickets closer to the actual date. Again, keep an eye on my socials for all the info and updates that come out each and every day or as needed on my various outlets. Uh, also, don't forget, check out the new YouTube show, That Rocks, with myself, Don, and Jim from the our old TV show together, That Metal Show. We're back with a new show on YouTube, again, called That Rocks. It's totally free. Punch it in and search on YouTube, subscribe, and you can watch our interviews and us hanging out hanging out once a week, talking to different people and talking about rock music. So this week, an interview with Brian May of Queen. So thrilled to be able to have Brian on the radio show and now bring that interview to you as a podcast. I had interviewed Brian May a number of years ago. While Adam Lambert was still the singer in the band, so it was probably like seven, eight years ago, but prior to having my daily radio show, and I did an interview with him in person for a podcast I was doing at the time, and uh, I'm so glad we were able to get him for a little bit on the radio show a couple weeks ago. Brian May is promoting a record that he did called Starfleet Project back in 1983, 40 years ago, that featured Eddie Van Halen. And Eddie Van Halen did, or as you're about to hear, Ed or Edward Van Halen, as he preferred. But he did so little outside of Van Halen that this is really very special. And Brian May went in and got the original master tapes and all the rehearsals and all the run-throughs and decided to put this all out in a deluxe set, which is called Starfleet Project and has now come out. At the time we did this interview, it had not yet come out. It has now since been released. So we talk a lot about Edward Van Halen and, of course, some Queen stuff with one of the all-time greats, Brian May of Queen. And that's our interview for you this week on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Enjoy. It's one thing falling in love with a house, picturing yourself moving in and calling it home, and quite another navigating the world of price negotiating, mortgage lenders, and finding the budget that works best for you. An agent who's a realtor can make understanding that world easier. Realtors have the expertise, access to proprietary data, and tools to help you get from imagining living somewhere to actually doing it. That's the kind of help we can provide. Because that's who we are. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors. Brian, pleasure to talk to you and to see you since we're doing this on Zoom. Uh, Thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Eddie. Nice to see you again. You too. Um, Lots to talk about, so I'll get to what I can in the time that we have. But I got to tell you, I was so thrilled when I heard that the Starfleet project was going to be re-released because I was a kid in high school when it came out. I I remember it coming out, and I was uh, so enamored with it because of the players involved, yourself and, of course, Edward Van Halen. And as a lifelong Van Halen and Queen fan, we had seen, and and really throughout his history, Edward Van Halen had done so little actually outside of his band. So the idea That's that he was doing something and doing something with you was uh, just really exciting at the time. And here we are 40 years later, and it's being completely revisited. So tell me about it initially, how it initially came together uh, that this project happened. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. I didn't even realize what a big step it was in a way, because it's only recently I realized how much of a kind of closed shop Van Halen was. You know, Edward and, and Alex really never were parted. They were never separated. You know, the very rare exceptions. You know, of course, Edward did that amazing solo for Michael Jackson. That's a one-off. Right. And and he did this for me, which for which I will eternally be grateful. Um and of course, Queen, the same. We were in this kind of bubble. We've been touring for nine months of the year, recording for three months of the year, f- forever. And it was a kind of, um, it was a sort of touring family, which is great, but we never stepped outside. It's quite odd how these things get. So to me and to all the others, same for um, Alan Gratzer from REO Speedwagon, they were much much the same, you know, a touring family, et cetera. So for all of us, it was a step into the dark, but not the dark. I mean, it's step into the light, if you like. And, uh, you know, I wrote this song called Let Me Out. That, that's kind of how I was feeling. I was feeling a little bit constrained by the the frontiers of Queen. Even though we'd done great and we'd kind of conquered the world, you, you started to feel like, is there anything else to life apart from this? <laughs> so I had this idea. I was in L.A. We decided we were going to give... Um, us Queen guys decided we were going to give it a rest. We're just going to leave each other some space, which was really important at that time because um, we were getting burned out, I think, with each other. And I woke up one morning in Los Angeles, which I love, love Los Angeles, always have done. I always feel a little bit more free there than anywhere else. Got on the phone as a result of a conversation with Alan, who was my neighbor, Alan Grazza. Uh, he said, look, just get on the phone, call people. They'll, they'll all come. And I went, really? So I phoned Edward. Who <laughs> hadn't spoken to him for a while? I said, Do you fancy coming and having a play down? I said, Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll come down. Yeah, yeah, let's do something. So he was in. I phoned Phil Chen, lovely guy, a wonderful bass player who I'd seen in the Rod Stewart band many times and Gonzalez before that. Caribbean guy full of sunshine. Yeah, me old China, I come over. He's like <laughs> half Caribbean and half London Cockney. Um, and then Fred Mandel, who's an LA guy, um, already had worked with us. Queen in the studio had a lot to do with Radio Gaga and machines, all that stuff. He actually brought real expertise to uh, synth playing to us. Dear old, um, <laughs> dear old chap, he is. Um, he's also one of the world's worst joke tellers, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, I meant sorry, I meant the world's best joke tellers. So everybody said, yeah, yeah, we'll come over. What should we do? And I said, well, I've got a couple of ideas in my head. I would like to do this Starfleet tune, which I've heard and I like, and I have an arrangement in my head for it. So I sent them all demos. I wish I could find the demo. When we were putting this box set together, I thought, I wonder if I can find my original demo, but nobody has it. I don't have it. Uh, Phil Chen's gone. Edward's gone. Nobody could find it. But anyway, the, the the demo was there. So we went in there. Oh, and actually, Ed came around my house and we played around on a what was then a Rockman. You used to put two little plugs into Rockman and you could hear each other play in the headphones. Very simple device. Which I don't see these days, do you? Yeah, so Ed came around my house. I, I had my little house in L.A. with my family on there. And he came around and we played around a bit together and tried out this arrangement that I got in my head. And Phil did the same thing on a different day. He came around. There's a pictures. Actually, there's pictures of this in the in the box set. And then we all bowled in the studio, the record plant, the old record plant, as it was, an amazingly atmospheric, beautiful place where all sorts of wonderful things had happened. 
great relaxed people, beautiful rooms, great equipment, a jacuzzi. It had a whole life to it, that studio. I was so sad to see it disappear. Nice people who ran it. We all went in there incredibly adrenalized because none of us had ever done this before. It's the weirdest thing. It's like the thing you never do, like cheating on your wife, you know, which Alan actually said, <laughs> what are we doing here? You know, we're supposed to be attached to our various machines, which are very, very successful and whatever. Anyway, we were in there and we all looked at each other in the eyes. And I think we're all thinking, what's going to happen? Maybe nothing will happen. That would be the most terrible thing if nothing happened. But we picked up our instruments, got on there, and it all started to happen. It all just evolved. We start playing. We hear each other. And you can hear all this on the, the box set that I've put out now because I've put down every take of every song, every note is on there. And you can hear how in the beginning we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> we're sort of trying to find sounds. We're trying to hear each other properly. We're trying to learn the songs and learn each other. And then gradually as the takes go on, you hear we're locking together. And it happened pretty quickly. Uh, we start to actually know what we're doing and we we work on the arrangement and eventually it starts to sound like a band. <laughs> and, and it was just for that instant in time, we were a, a band and I think a really good band. Kind of in my dreams, I wish we could have carried on in some way, but you know, it wasn't meant to be. I think the context of what you talk about is really important because today in the music world, it's the norm for almost every major musician to have multiple bands. Almost everybody has at least one side thing. Um, but back yeah. then, it was different. I mean, back then it was like, if your favorite band, whether it be Van Halen or Queen or whoever it was, the, the a member stepped out and was doing something, even a solo record, it was like perceived it, as a kid. I remember back then a little bit of a red flag, like, oh, maybe there's trouble with the band and they're sort of testing other waters. So I think that's mm -hmm. really important for maybe younger people to have the context of this, which made this so unique. And as you said, um, Edward Van Halen hardly did. And I'm saying... By the way, I read the notes that he didn't like to be called Eddie, which you you referenced. So now I'm always saying Edward. Who knew? <laughs> but but it's just uh, it's he had done so little outside of Van Halen that this was just like something that was like, wow, this is incredible. And I also think, Brian, that this was a really interesting time beyond that for both Queen and Van Halen, because. If you really know the Van Halen history, there was a little bit of uncertainty with them going into the record they would next make. I know for you guys, you're coming off of Hot Space, not a very well-received record, at least in America, and you're kind of trying to figure things out maybe a little bit. So I, I think that it was probably a good time for both of you to maybe sort oh, of recharge and refresh like by doing this. Would you agree? Yeah, I missed some of your speech there, but I, I think I know what you're saying. Yes, it was a great recharge and, and refresh for all of us, I think. And I think we all actually needed it and we hadn't realized we needed it. <laughs> and it wasn't done. It wasn't like, let's go and make a record. It was just like, let's go and play. Let's see what happens, see how it feels. And it was much later that I decided to make it into a record, a proper record. And I asked it the permissions, obviously, and I made sure that we shared the monies that we, well, we didn't make much money, but what there was, <laughs> I wanted to share out with them. So they still had the writer's credits on the, on the things which we can have writer's credits on. Paul Bliss wrote the Starfleet song. I wrote, um, let me out but everything else we did is, is credited to all of us of course um so yeah it was a real step into a new arena and um yeah i mean edward did that amazing uh michael jackson 
solo, which I think was in my mind. I thought, what would happen if I give him um, an arena to play in? What what happens if I give him this little uh, place to a stage to stand on, and he does something outside outside his usual place? What's he going to do? How would that be? So, really, Starfleet in the back of my mind was a number of things. It's like making my little boy happy because he loved the Starfleet series, which we shared on TV. This wonderful Japanese puppet uh, science fiction series. Number two, I like the song. I want to do the arrangement. I want to make it into a rock anthem. Number three, I want to play with Ed. I want to play with Alan, all the guys. Number four, it's like using it as a vehicle for really stepping out and finding out what the world is like when when you're not in that protective envelope of Queen that we built up. And, and when great. you listen yeah. to this, the way you the way you're delivering this in this form, this box set, which is out on July 14th, it can be pre-ordered now. There's two CDs, there's a vinyl single, there's an LP, there's a bunch of great liner notes, photos. But what what listening through it, what I thought was so cool was the way you presented it, where uh, I was fascinated by the little chatter you'd hear before and after each take, and some of the yeah. things you there's. I think there's a point where you actually say boy, I wish I had done something like this before. And, uh, you know, there's all this little, like it, you feel listening to it. It really puts the, the listener in the room with you guys. You really get that vibe. It's awesome. Yeah. That's what I wanted. I'm very happy that it's turned out that way. Um, I remember I just quite recently, I was looking at the Beatles. Um, what is that thing that that's on Netflix where they're they're in the studio and you see them doing Let It Be and everything? It, it kind of reminds me of that because you do you get to know us by listening to this record. I think it's a shame we didn't have any video cameras. I don't think video cameras were invented in those days. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. I mean, nineteen eighty three. There's no internet. There's no digital. There's no there's no CDs even. Um, there's no mobile phones for sure. And uh, life was very different. And you were, if you were in a space, you were much more, I think, insulated and isolated from the outside world. It was a very intimate thing. Shows were much more intimate. They weren't shared with the whole world on the internet. It was just that performance in that room with those people. And yeah, the world's changed a lot. There's some benefits, but there's, we lost some stuff. We lost some kind of magic and intimacy, didn't we? Yeah, and and the the mystique of it all, you know, which this this gives you yeah. a little bit of that, where it's like I'm listening, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I was I was so at the after every take that you you included because you've included all the takes. That was some of the not only seeing how you kind of navigated it all as you went, and the different, you know, it sounded like Edward Van Halen every time would do a different approach, and then what so, you guys would chatter about beginning or end of the song, all that stuff was just fantastic. And you, you yeah. talked about you, where I think you even said where being in the studio with him and and playing with him, you almost felt I don't know if the word was intimidated. Uh, obviously, you're a brilliant player in your your own right, but when you first heard a guy like that playing and then working with him and trading off with him, what was that like for you as a guitarist? Did it, you know you know Tony Iommi was just on this show last week, and I just was speaking to Tony who I know very well. And, you know, Van Halen famously opened for them very early on. And I said to Tony, because he was on promoting a reissue of a live album that came out in 83. And I said to mm. Tony, I said, you know, did what Eddie was doing and the impact and the mark he had made by that point, did it make you almost start to rethink your approach a little bit? And he said, yeah, but I couldn't, I couldn't do that. He goes, I still had to stay in my lane. So for you as a player, how did that work? How did that impact you? 
Yeah, well, I'm very much like Tony. Tony's my oldest and dearest friend in the business, as you probably know. I love Tony, and he's an incredible, incredible musician. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, the same. I mean, to me, it's, it was a bit like seeing Jimi Hendrix for the first time. I thought I could play the guitar when I first went to see Jimi at the Savile Theatre in London. And I just thought, oh, my God, either I have to give up playing guitar or else I have to go away and practice. And <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to change my life one way or the other. Same with Edward. When I first saw him at that show with Tony, I just thought, geez, you know, I have never seen anything like this. And and I knew in myself that I was never going to be able to do anything like that. It's a different world. You know, I could never be Jimi Hendrix. I could never be Ed Van Halen. But I kind of rejoice in the fact that I can be close to these people and, and to actually work with Edward was a pure joy. I didn't feel intimidated. I felt nervous because I felt a little bit like, what do they call it, imposter syndrome. syndrome. You know, like you think, why am I here? Am I worthy to be here in, in the presence of this? But it's a moment. And then you just think, ah, oh, what a wonderful experience. And Edward was always very complimentary to me. He'd always say, look, you're one of my biggest influences. I can't believe I'm playing with you. So we used to play Now I'm Here when we were starting off as Van Halen. We 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 knew all the Queen songs. Um, so it was just very, it was kind of explosively um, emotional, I suppose. I mean, I don't I hope that's not kind of overstating it, but we were incredibly hyped up, incredibly excited and sort of enamored with the whole idea. Um, and it felt kind of naughty. It felt kind of like, God, we really get to do this? It's like having a day off in a theme park or whatever. You know, our, our well, parents you, don't know. <laughs> you know, as you reference, Brian, I'm sure that Edward Van Halen was saying the same thing about standing next to you, being a fan of Queen and saying, I can't believe I'm here with Brian May. And the common bond between you guys also, as a fan, I can say this, is that uh, your guitar playing styles might be very different, but when you hear Brian May, you know instantly it's Brian May. And when you hear Edward Van Halen, you know instantly it's Edward Van Halen, which is really the mark of, you know, really making a mark, right? Is to have your own thing as a guitar player. Well, I'm complimented that you say that. Thank you. Yeah, I have my own thing. You know, I'm not a highly technical player. I never have been. My thing is that I just play how I feel and I try to, you know, make it a transparent communication through me my body and my fingers and whatever. Um, but I'm conscious that there, there's a million guitarists on this planet that can play stuff that I can't. So I don't know. I'm not under any illusions, but I just do what I do. And I'm happy that it makes people feel something. That was my dream. I suppose people feel something if I play. That's good. That, that makes me feel good. The one one last thing on on this with Edward Van Halen that I wanted to mention to you, and I don't know if anybody has mentioned this or how hardcore of a Van Halen fan you are, Brian, but for hardcore Van Halen fans, there is a unbelievable little nugget in one of the takes of this collection, which is I listened to it last night, and I don't know if anyone's pointed this out, but about nine years or eight, do you know where I'm going? I think I know what you spotted. Yeah, tell me about <laughs> eight, about uh, eight about seven eight years later. Van Halen with the Sammy Hagar lineup would record a song called "On Top of the World," and on one of the takes, I wrote it down as I went through them last night. Um, Starfleet take one, as he's uh -huh. noodling before you start, he plays the riff of what would yeah. become "Top of the World." That's right. Yeah. He's obviously trying it out. It's obviously in his head and eventually it surfaced. Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. There's a few That's little amazing. 
gosh, it was yeah, so cool no, to hear no. that. Like, yeah, I don't know if that just came cool. to him spontaneously at that moment. And then seven years yeah. later, it would become a Van Halen song, a, a well-known song. But just to hear him break out that little riff. And then I was like, oh, you know, as, as a music geek, that kind of stuff just, you know, is awesome. I know. Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know if it was something he'd played around with before or if it just came to him in that moment, you know, something we'll never know, but yeah, it, you just think, Ooh, <laughs> I've heard that before somewhere. And then that's where it is. Yeah. yeah the, the other thing cool. on this collection that I really loved was the live stuff. So tell me about that because then you went and you played some of this as the Brian May band because there's live stuff on here as well. Yeah, I spent a big chunk of my life being the Brian May band, going out there and being the front man, the singer and the guitar player. And it was it was tiring. <laughs> it was great and it was challenging, but it, it took a lot out of me to do that. And uh, But you hear some good moments. Yeah, we played at the Palace Theatre in L.A., a nice show. Um, we played on the Jay Leno show where Slash came and joined us. And uh, I, I did two big tours of the world with Cozy Powell on drums, who's just the most wonderful guy, and following that with with Eric Singer after Cozy departed. Um, and I had a great time, but it was too... It, I just didn't want to carry on after a while. I got to a certain point. I think we, the climax of, his, of it all was I got to the Albert Hall, which is a big deal to play the Albert Hall in Britain, like come back to your hometown, the big gig. And I had no voice. I got up and just, oh, I what can I do? And it was just the most horribly disappointing thing. And I, the whole time on those tours, I was wrestling with what singers wrestle with, you know, do I have a voice today? And in the end, I just thought, okay, I've done this. I've had a great time, but I don't want to be the singer anymore. I like playing guitar. I'm happy with a singer to work with. So I went really totally back in that direction. I worked with Kerry Ellis for a while, a lovely lady singer here, doing something completely different. But it was just a relief to me to say, okay, you do the singing, I do the playing. I'll produce, I'll do whatever you do. I'll do everything else, but you sing. Because I didn't want to sing anymore. I love to sing but not with the pressure of delivering a whole show as the front man and trying to play guitar at the same time. I'm obviously not Jimi Hendrix. I'm not Stevie Ray Vaughan. Some people can do it. I did it, but I didn't feel like I was doing it to the max. I felt like my, like, I felt my guitar playing was suffering. I thought I'm not really putting all my passion into that voice, which is the guitar. I'm splitting it between the guitar and the voice. And it, I just, I just kind of thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to come away from this. I'm going to be a guitar player again. So, so just for clarity, the, the band that recorded the Starfleet initially, the EP never actually played a live show, but you played some of this material with the Brian May band and that's the live that's stuff that's in the collection, right? That's right. Yeah. I wish we had done a live show. That would have been something. No, we didn't. <laughs> None of us had time, I guess. And, and one other thing on the box set, there's a photo where, uh, Edward Van Halen is holding the bass and Phil Chen is playing, is holding a guitar. Was that just for the photo or did Ed actually play some bass as well? I think it was just goofing around for the photo. Yeah. But I did hear Ed play bass around his place in his studio. And it was, have you heard that? Have you heard him play bass? Well, he plays, bass on a, he plays bass on a Sammy Hagar album when Sammy was in the band on the Sammy Hagar solo album. Oh, okay. I'd forgotten that. Well, he picked up the bass when we were playing around together in his studio, and it just sounded like him playing the guitar. I couldn't believe it. He's doing all the tapping stuff and the 
press on, press off and stuff. And I just thought this guy can pick up anything. He could pick up a broomstick and it would still like, it would still sound like Ed Van Halen playing guitar. <laughs> it's amazing what he could do. Incredible magic, magic in his fingers. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, there's so precious little outside of the brilliant Van Halen albums that we have. So I know that fans of uh, Van Halen are going to love hearing this. It's a completely different arena to hear him in just jamming and trading off with you. And just even the style, there's a lot of like very bluesy stuff on here and him just uh, playing in that way. It's such a treat to be able to hear this. So I think it's fantastic. Um, that you're putting it out 40 years later. Sadly, he's no longer with us to to talk about it, but it makes this even more uh, something valuable and, and awesome to hear. So um, I'm glad it's coming out for the fans to get to revisit who knew about it initially uh, and get it in this expansive set or who didn't know about it at all because I think it did fly under the radar a little bit maybe initially when it came out, at least here in the U.S. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I never expected it to be a mass media kind of thing. I didn't expect it to be like Billboard number one, but um, it got to some people at the time. I think it will get further this time because people are more aware of of both of us, and it's a piece of history. It makes me incredibly happy that it's going to be out there in a proper state, like rescued from the from the dust and debris that it was lying in. You know, all those years. It, it's to me, it's, it's great. It's a kind of completion thing. Um, it'll be out there for all time and people can hear every single thing that went on. Nothing's been touched. Nothing's been fixed. It's just us playing live and, and enjoying the freedom. Yeah. Hey, I normally have a couple minutes left. Do you mind if I ask you a few quick queen things before I let you go? Sure. Eddie. Yeah. You've got, of course, a huge tour coming up here in America, uh, in October. Mm. And I was looking through the dates and, uh, it's remarkable, multiple nights in Madison Square Garden and uh, in L.A. in a stadium. And I got to tell you, I referenced the the Hot Space Tour, which was the only time I saw you with the original band. And oh. uh, it was at Madison Square Garden. I was in high school. And again, I think that was a bit of a tough time for Queen, at least in America. And it mm. is remarkable to me, 40 plus years since then, what the band is now at least in this country, I know Queen outside of America is a totally different thing. I know it's a, always been a gargantuan thing. But I make the case, Brian, that here in the U.S., Queen now is bigger than you've been in easily 40 years. Uh, because mm -hmm. I was at Hot Space at the Garden, and it was, you know, there was some, it wasn't a full building that night that I was there. Um, now you're playing two nights at Madison Square Garden, 40 two years later does it blow yeah. your mind what has happened to the band's music i mean it's got to just floor you the standing that that catalog is now all over the world taken especially here in america yeah it's very gratifying i feel very grateful um it's especially because a lot of the audience are young there's, there's new generations come and they get it they understand us there's a lot of love there. That means so much. I, I I love it. Yeah, I'm so happy that we, well, you know, we kind of always regarded America as as a home, like a second home. But there were times when it was tough. Yeah, for all sorts of reasons which we could go into. It was a hard. We fought some battles here in the states, um, and I'm just happy that we're here now. Yeah, I can't wait. Here, just at an unbelievable level. Um, what what do you? Is it all new production? What do you have in store for this tour coming up? What can fans expect? 
Uh, well, we're still calling it the Rhapsody Tour, but it's changed quite a lot since we we last saw you. Lots of new production ideas. Uh, we're going to try a few songs which we haven't tried before. Um, lots of content and stuff. We're very, I don't want to give too much away, but we're very aware that the world is changing. And I think we feel that we should acknowledge that. There's, there's, there's a bit of that kind of awareness in the in the in the set um you know we're in a perilous time and uh, you know art is art and and life is life but you should be aware of where you are i think and and uh, we're, we're all conscious that we want to kind of address some of that stuff and uh, it's still about escapism don't get me wrong but it's like an awareness of where we are in 2023 as opposed to the way it was you know we're, we're post covid we're post lots of stuff which I won't even go into, but um, it's good. I mean, and Adam is great. Adam is up for anything. So if we say to Adam, you know, how about trying this from from this album? And he go, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, I can do that. And he can. He can take on anything. Extraordinary voice and extraordinary personality he has. And he has this connection with the audience, which we really love. And he's never he's never once tried to be Freddie, but they have a lot in common. You can tell, you know, and they in terms of the approach and the, the showmanship and the there's something that there's something about Adam, which I think he shares with Freddie, like it's all big pizzazz. It's very big. It's very grand. It's very sort of camp, whatever, but underneath all that, there's a kind of humility. There's a contact which takes place between, between him and the audience, which just happens. And it's, it's natural and it's, it's warm and nice. And, um, it's a hard place for him to stand because we have our whole history with the audience and he doesn't, but they love him. Everybody loves him. You can't help but love him. He's, he's an extraordinary singer. Amazing. God knows how we found him. You know, it's a voice in a billion that is. Yeah. It really is remarkable to hear him with the band. That tour starts October 4th here in the U S and all the dates of course are on the website. Um, has there been, there's always those rumors about a Bohemian Rhapsody sequel or follow-up to the biopic. Any any thoughts on that? Is there any truth to that? Or is that pretty much you're going to leave it at the one film? There's truth to the fact that we talk about it. We'd love it. We'd love to make a sequel. It's it's finding the right script. It actually took us 12 years to find the right script for the first one. So I guess it's no surprise that it's not easy. Uh, there is a story there. An awful lot happened after the end of the Bohemian Rhapsody movie script, if you like, story. Um, but it it's whether it would make a film... I don't know. And I, we don't want to put it out there or, or make it unless we're sure that it's going to work and it's going to move people in the same way as the original film did. Yeah, the short answer is we'd love to, and we haven't found a way of doing it yet. <laughs> so fans, it's not out of the question. It's just a matter of making sure it's good, like the initial film yeah. was, wait until it's the right yeah. time. Yeah, I'd love and to I do it. Sorry. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. What were you saying? I was going to say, I would love to do it soon because it'd be nice to get the same four guys back to players because they're so stupendous, all of them. It's just great. I mean, Rami is amazing. Willem, who played me, incredible. I mean, he fooled my kids. My kids thought I voiced the part, but he did it all. <laughs> <laughs> and, and final thing, I saw on the Queen website that there is a official Queen tribute band that you guys are endorsing, uh, yourself and Roger are endorsing, called the Queen Extravaganza. Do I have that right? Is that what that is? It's a it's a, a, a tribute that you're endorsing. There's so many Queen tributes that one must be special. Well, no, it, it wasn't a tribute band, but 
we put it together. We auditioned and actually made it mainly Roger, more more Roger than I. I mean, we had this idea of a Queen extravaganza, but actually my concept was very different from Roger's. But Roger said, look, I want to go ahead with this. I want to put this band together. Uh, so we have the ultimate kind of tribute band, but we are in control of it. We create it. So it, it's it's very unusual from that respect. And as I say, it's been more Roger's work than mine. And they are damn good, got to say. And they do very great business. And uh, you know, I don't know. In about a thousand years' time, that's that's all. That's all there's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you guys have a lot more gas left in the tank. Judging from the last live show I saw, and I'm sure the shows coming up in October will be fantastic. Anything else that you want the fans to know on either front? Is there new music coming at all? Have you talked about that? Anything maybe you're personally working on that you want to let everybody know about? No, we're just invested in the tour really we're aiming towards making that tour the greatest experience you ever had and that's it you know that's as far as we're looking right now well brian thank you so much for the time again we remind everybody that the uh, starfleet uh, collection is coming out on july 14th you can pre-order it now if you had the initial recording this is that's tiny com that was three songs this is expansive all the outtakes, all those little nuggets that we talked about. There's even some radio interviews you did at the time about it. It's a fantastic collection. I'm so glad that it's coming out. Thank you, Ed. It's really good to see you again, and thank you. You rock. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you when you get to the U.S. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you, Ed. God bless. Well, a huge thrill for me when I get a chance to talk to the icons, the 70s icons. That's what it is for me, the guys I grew up listening to. And Brian May certainly fits that category. And I thank Brian May for the time. Starfleet is out now in the deluxe 40th anniversary edition and looking forward to these upcoming Queen shows. As I said during that interview, and I really believe this, at least in America, Queen has never been bigger than they are now in the last 40 years easily. It's pretty amazing. So thanks to Brian for the time. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe. And again, be sure to join me on my daily show where all these interviews and all this stuff comes from. Trunk Nation, live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 Eastern, Faction Talk, Sirius XM Channel 103, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Don't have Sirius XM? Well, you can get it for free for three months. All you got to do is go to SiriusXM.com slash Eddie Trunk. Go there and get three free trial months of SiriusXM. No credit card required. Sign up and come on board and join us for the daily radio show. Thank you all for listening. I will see you guys hopefully on the radio every day and back here next Thursday for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. A lot can happen between falling in love with a house online and owning it. Between imagining living there breathing in your new home for the first time. Having an advocate who can help you navigate the complex world of financing, inspections, negotiating, analyzing the market, and talking through any anxieties that may pop up, that can make all the difference. That's what the expertise of a Realtor can do for you. Realtors are members of the National Association of Realtors and bound by a code of ethics, because that's who we are.